Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. As is our tradition in the month of January, we are focusing on the ministries that partner with us on right to life issues. Joining us today is the president and CEO of the Silver Ring Thing, Jason Burt. Jason will be preaching on trusting God through the transition. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. All right, good morning. How are we doing? Great. Well, it is such a pleasure for me to be here with you. Uh, you know, when I first came to Pittsburgh uh, about 17 years ago, this was the church that was home for me. So this is the church really that made my faith come alive. So it's always so nostalgic. I don't live quite in the area now. It's a bit of a hike for us to be here. But if I were to be around this area, this is where I would be because it means a lot to me. So I thank you for this opportunity to be here. Admiral Yi Soon Shin was a Korean naval commander in the late 1500s. He was famous for all these, for the engagements and the victories he had against the Japanese Navy. In spite, in spite of the fact that he had no naval training and was often under-resourced, under-supplied, he never lost a single engagement. Actually, he never lost a single ship while at sea. In his fo- most famous battle, he was up against, it was 133 Japanese warships versus only 13 of his fleet. So despite insurmountable odds, and and this is kind of his Thermopylae moment, his crew was able to damage or destroy 31 of these 133 ships and sent the Japanese fleet sailing away in retreat. Admiral Yi's crew believed that when they were with him, they were literally invincible. That literally, if he was with them in the boat, there was nothing that could stop them. They implicitly trusted him. They were so loyal to him. It was an amazing time that no matter the circumstances, they would win. Well, today we're talking about, as we've read in the scripture, it's a different boat. It's a different body of water entirely. And it's a totally different commander, but one who ultimately inspired even more loyalty, faith, and trust. Not only would the followers and sailors that sailed with this man feel invincible with him, they would ultimately die for him. So today what we're talking about, ultimately, is how do we trust God during times of transition? Webster defines transition as the process or the period of kind of changing from one state or condition to another. And that's where some of you may be today. In fact, that is where this church is today. As we celebrate the new calling that that God has placed in both Pastor Jared and his family while simultaneously mourning their departure and loss. See, life is about Transition from elementary school to middle school, from high school to college, from this job to that job, from this state to that state, from single to married, from married to the chaos called children. There's this constant transition that we are always undergoing and going through in our lives from known to unknown, often from clarity to confusion. Many times it's from peace to pain. So as you open up your Bibles to me and you turn to that Mark chapter 4, this is a story that is probably familiar to most, if not all of us. Now, while understanding this story may be simple, the application of it on our lives is anything but. So let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we open up your word today and we dig into your text, Father, I pray you would open up our, eye, or open up our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and the truth that will transform our lives, God. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now quickly, before I jump into the text, uh, experts say that, that change, anytime someone goes under kind of change or transition, there's kind of a life cycle of how change works. Anytime transition happens, first there is a, a period of denial. You don't want to believe it happened. There's denial, there's some guilt, there's some anger, and ultimately, usually there's a period even of depression, where change is difficult, it's hard. But at some point in this, in this cycle, you get to that point of resignation, where you realize that the, the unthinkable or the undesirable is ultimately inevitable. You're not going to change the circumstances. You kind of resolve yourself to this new reality. Then you begin to be open about, okay, what are the new possibilities that are here? And ultimately, it leads to both encouragement and an involvement. And in this final stage, people then take on kind of new ownership and responsibility. They realize with every change presents new opportunity. How can I contribute? So the key for any organization and any leader is ultimately, how do we quickly transition people from a period of like anger and guilt and depression to this new reality of what is God doing? Where is he at work? And this is so important, especially in the life of a church. Because you realize that God is sovereign, that he is in control, that all things are happening according to his purposes, that he is working all things for his good and glory. So as a church, you now have to accept, what is the new reality and how are we to get engaged? Well, Jesus was the guy who was constantly in transition. He was always moving about from place to place, revealing more of himself to his disciples. He was changing their perspective and their attitudes and their understanding consistently. If we look in his life, Jesus' public ministry was only about maybe three and a half years. His disciples were with him maybe 18 months of that time. So he had a short window in order to equip and and lead and disciple these men who would ultimately go out and be commissioned to change the world. So their environment, their perspective, their understanding, it was always in transition. Everything was changing and new. He was relentless And building up this kind of, this ragtag group of fishermen to ultimately become fishers of men. And so as we're looking at transition, and as we now start to dive into this text, this is our main point for today. And this is what I want you to always remember. That in the storms and the challenges and the uncertainties of life, that the one who planned the trip is also in the boat. That the one who planned the trip is also in the boat. So taking a look at this, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it starts right out. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. So he planned the trip. Now, after a long day of preaching and teaching on the beach, talking about the kingdom of God, it wasn't the disciples who decided to set out at night to cross the Sea of Galilee. It was his idea. He planned the trip. And it wasn't the worst plan, but maybe sticking around to the morning when it was daylight might have been a bit wiser. Now, for a little bit of context, the Sea of Galilee is in Israel. It's the lowest freshwater lake on the entire planet. Okay, it sits about 682 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by mountains. So it essentially sits in a bowl, okay? It's about 13 miles long, 8 miles wide. Now, scientists study this lake because it is so unique to almost any other place in the world. Because you see, you've got this, the winds, the cool winds rush down off the mountain. It mixes with the warm air down low, and it causes atmospheric chaos, where sudden winds and storms can come up seemingly out of nowhere and be catastrophic. You could go from a peaceful setting to all of a sudden waves that might be 5 to 10 feet high, almost out of nowhere. So Jesus led them into this place. 
He was the one who planned the trip. Yeah, I think he was tired. He wanted to get away. He wanted to pass to the, the other side where he'd be a little bit more secluded, spend time with his father in a prayer. But I believe he had so much more in mind. He was leading him to this place of uncertainty and opportunity to test and strengthen their faith. Looking at verse 37, we see what happens. It says, A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. So that it was nearly swamped. The Greek translates this squall as a whirlwind, whirlwind, a violent attack of wind. And the word that it uses for furious is megas. Mega. This was a mega storm, and it set everyone into panic. Here they are in the middle of a mega storm. They're, they're pulling in the sails. They're, they're rowing ferociously. They're bailing out the boat. And here's the guy who led them there asleep in the stern. So after coming to the end of all their efforts and all their abilities, they turn to finally the guy taking a nap. Now, you know it's not a good day. Seven out of the 12 disciples or so most likely were fishermen. And so you're not, you know you're not having a good day when you're at sea and the sailors turn to the carpenter for a solution. You're not in a good place right now. They were out of options. Now what I love is that three of the different Gospels give an account of this story. Both Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell this same story. But they all say a little something different in this moment. So Mark says right here, he says, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Luke says, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Matthew says, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Teacher, Master, Lord. Now, I don't think this is a contradiction. I think this is a description of the panic, of the setting that they are in. The question is, Jesus, who are you right now? Who are you right now? Are you teacher? Are you master? Are you Lord? What can you do to save us? Do you even care? We've seen you heal the sick. Seen you cleanse the leper. I've seen you cast out demons. I even seen you give sight to the blind. But what can you do right now? Maybe send a big fish like Jonah. That'd be cool. We get saved. That'd be cool. Stinks, but we'll be cool. Maybe, maybe you can be like Moses, you can part the Red Sea and get us out of here. They hadn't even seen the whole walking on water routine yet, so they didn't even know that was really an option. The question is, Jesus, who are you and can you help my situation? And I think it's a question that all of us ask. It's a situation that all of us ultimately relate to. That in the middle of a trial or a temptation, we scream out, Lord, save us. And we both declare his lordship and our unbelief at the same time. You see, our words indicate that we believe God is Lord, but then our worry indicates our lack of faith and trust in who he is and what he really can do. See, it's easy to say things like, God's in control, but then kind of just silently suffer in worry and doubt and despair. But the thing is, maybe you took a step of faith. You took a step in somewhere. You thought something was going to get easier, and instead it got harder. But the thing is, God doesn't always lead us besides still waters. He doesn't. Many times we want us to, Jesus, to rescue us from a situation, to, to kind of go in and to just pull us out, when really what he's saying is, no, I want to take you through it. Winston Churchill said it great. He said, if you're going through hell, keep going. Because the worst thing that we could do is stop in the middle when Jesus wants to take us through to the other side. 
Trusting Jesus as Lord of your life is something that you can do in a single moment. But learning to trust him with all the troubles and all the struggles every single day, that's a lifetime process of getting to know and to love him. You may not know your future, but you can trust him who does hold it, that he is faithful and he will be there. So looking at verse 39, what do we see happen? It says, he got up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Other translations say it was perfectly calm. It's the same word, megas. It's a mega calm. Now, I think most of us probably picture, we've all seen videos. In fact, I searched all over YouTube to try to find out what I really think is happening here. And almost everybody who shows this story shows them waking them up. This storm is raging. The wind's howling. Jesus comes to the front. He says, quiet, be still. And gradually the storm kind of, the wind's kind of quiet. And there's waves which are crashing back and forth, slowly kind of dissipate. And it becomes calm. But I don't think that's what's happened because this is a megas calm. One of the things I love to do in the summertime is I take my kids to my mother-in-law's house. She has a pool. One of the things they love is when I create a wave pool. So I grab the raft and I start, you know, and the waves start crashing left and right. And the water is spilling out over the pool. And i got to stop when my mother-in-law and my wife both yell at me and say, stop. And, and then I stop and my kids stop drowning and all this kind of stuff. But then the waves take some time. You know, like they're, they're going and then finally, 30 seconds, 40, whatever it is, and it finally comes down. I don't think that's what's happened. See, we read here where it says that it died down, but the Greek word literally means it ceased from violence. It stopped raging. It ceased. This is a mega calm. I believe Jesus stood up there. He said, quiet, be still, and everything went flat. The wind stopped. The waves ceased. All of a sudden, they're sitting on a sea of glass. And the boat sits on water as if it's beached on the shore. There's no movement, no coincidence. Why do I think that? Because you see, if Jesus got up there and he said, quiet, be still, and things kind of slowly dissipated, there's a chance the disciples could have said, I don't know how you knew that timing, but lucky guess. Because there's a natural explanation to that. This was supernatural. This is Jesus calming something in a miraculous, supernatural way. So there's no argument No coincidence. Then he turns to his disciples in verse 40. He said to his disciples, Why are you still afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and they asked each other, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? You see, this was a faith-building and decisive moment for these disciples. This was a faith-building moment. They had seen some cool miracles along the way. They had listened to some great teaching, but they had never seen anything on par with what just happened. That question of who you are, who are you, Jesus? Are you master? Are you teacher? Are you Lord? They got the answer to their question. And the only thing more terrifying than the storm outside the boat is now having God inside it. In that moment, they were met with just the sovereign power of the Almighty, and they were afraid. They realized the miraculous power of who Jesus is. Now, in in understanding this, we have to understand Jesus' mission in coming to earth. You see, he was revealing himself to a unique and powerful way, but his mission was to come to seek and save the lost and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
You see, the Jews at that time, they wanted a Messiah. They wanted a conquering hero who's going to overthrow the Romans and set them free. That's what they were looking for. But Jesus came to die. The Jews wanted to adorn the Messiah with a, with a crown of gold, but Jesus came for a crown of thorns. So while he was constantly, in this moment specifically, trying to reveal his deity, reveal who he truly was to his disciples, he simultaneously needed to hide this from those around him. Because if a, a miracle of this display on the beach in front of 5,000 people with Pharisees and Sadducees present would be undisputable who he was, that he was their Messiah, he was the Christ, and it would thwart his plan. They would never send him to die. I believe this type of display, what Jesus decided to do is then, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to display this in a private meeting with my followers, with those who I trust most. I believe this situation is maybe one of those things that played into Peter's mind when Jesus asked him later on. He said, who do people say that I am? They said, well, some people say that you're uh, John the Baptist. And some people say that you're Elijah. And still others say some of the prophets. He says, but what about you, Peter? Who do you say that I am? He said, I believe that you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. I think this situation may have been in his mind. So he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Don't you know that you can trust me? Don't you know that me in the back taking a nap is far better than anyone else wide awake? I plan the trip. And when I'm in the boat, you have nothing to fear. I imagine in this moment, if the disciples had just a bit of the faith that Admiral Yee's men and followers had of him at that time. If they implicitly trusted that when they were with Jesus, they had nothing to fear, that he was in control. Imagine how different this situation could have gone. That as the wind is howling and the storm is raging, and they realize that they're going to drown, they're not going to make it, were it not for this guy who's with them. But because he's with them, something's going to happen. The, the, the situation would be totally different. They say, listen, Jesus is here. He sent us out here. He's got a plan. Now, I don't know how he's going to get out of this thing. I don't know how we're getting out of this, but it's going to be awesome. It's going to be cool. So go in the back, wake him up, watch him work, because this is going to be crazy. Think about that kind of faith. Think about that kind of faith in our lives as we deal with the transition and the uncertainty and the change in our lives. The Bible says that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in the things that are unseen. That's what faith is. Faith is when you and I take the first step, when God hasn't yet revealed the second. You don't know what's going to happen. One of my favorite and most kind of, it's a popular acronym for faith. I think it's so fitting for here. Faith is essentially forsaking all, I trust him. Forsaking all, I trust him. We have nowhere else to turn. There's no other way out. We have no ability the book of Luke, he takes this same question when he says, where is your, he says, where is your faith? Not, do you still have faith? Just where is your faith? Because faith always has a residence. It's placed somewhere. Psalm 27 says, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots. We will trust in the Lord our God. In today's context, some of us trust in money. Some of us trust in family. Some trust in job security and power and possessions and positions but we, we as Christians, are to trust in the Lord our God. This type of faith recognizes that God is sovereign, that he is in control, that he is the supreme authority and all things are under his control. 
Proverbs talks about a person's steps are directed by the Lord. It says, in a heart, a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. So we have this freedom to make our own decisions, but God is constantly directing the choices under his sovereign determination because he has the final say in his creation. But we can trust that he is a God who loves us, who is good. And when he says, why are you afraid? Why do you worry? Don't you know that Jesus, who can supernaturally settle the storm on the sea, can resolve any kind of storm or challenge that we have in our lives? Because the one who planned the trip is also in the boat. Jesus says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, for those of you who are familiar with Silver Ring thing, uh, you may or may not know that we as a ministry are also in a season and a period of transition. See, God started this ministry back in 1995 through Denny and Amy Patton sitting in this room here today. And God has done miraculous and amazing things through this ministry over the years. We've done over 1,400 events in nine countries, seen more than 700,000 students come out to hear a message about God's plan for their sexuality and purity, how to live a life that's according to his will that pleases him. We've seen more than 131,000 students Make first time or recommitments as Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. God has done amazing things and no one could have possibly imagined the impact and the eternal impact that has happened through this ministry over the years. But the issues that students are dealing with today have changed. The climate and the landscape is far different. Many are more complex and pervasive. A message of purity and absence for some just seems too complex in a world of gender confusion, sexual identity and orientation, pornography, social media, all of these other things that they're dealing with today that are so pervasive. And so we know that we need to change, to adapt to that, to transition, even though it's hard and it's difficult. And so you'll see in the coming weeks that Silver Ring thing is transitioning to become unaltered ministries with a simple mission of leading students to fullness of life. You see, we believe that obedience to God's design, as we're talking about life and design, obedience to his design leads to human flourishing. Jesus said in John chapter 8, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So by walking in and following God's design, adhering to his truth, we can experience freedom and fullness of life. And so through events and media and speakers and resources and all these things, we're going to help bring the gospel to a generation so that we can see them live through integrity and influence through the power of the gospel. We're sad to see kind of a chapter ending, but exciting that God is going before us, that he is leading us into a new season and into a new chapter. We take that first step of faith not knowing yet or being revealed if the second step is there. But that's what it is in honoring him. And at the same time, this is a church in transition. Whether you like it or not right now, this is a church in transition. And you need to prayerfully discern and determine where is Jesus leading this this congregation, you individually, as you pass from one side of the sea to another. Because there may be some turbulence along the way. There may be some, some difficulty, but you can trust in the captain. You need to plug in to get involved, to apply your gifts and your passions and your talents in a way to move from that place of any kind of denial or guilt or anger to that place of openness, acceptance, and excitement of what is God doing? How is he at work? Individually, you may be in a season of transition and difficulty. I'm sure there are many in this room who are in pain 
who are struggling with the loss of a loved one, a devastating injury or illness, a wayward child, financial hardship, the loss of a job, mental illness, so much more. There's some, imagine some pain and some difficulty in this room. And as the wind is howling, as the, as the waves are crashing, as the sails are tearing, and it seems like that the whole boat is just coming apart. You're not sure if you're going to make it. You're crying out in this moment. You're saying, Lord, teacher, master, save me. And Jesus is looking right back at you and he's saying, where is your faith? Why are you so afraid? Are your circumstances really bigger than me, your Savior? Don't you know that when I am in the boat, in the middle of the storm, you have nothing to fear? So remember that, that the one who planned the trip, he's sovereignly directing your steps. Whatever you may be going through, it's not a surprise to him. The one who planned the trip is also in the boat. And forsaking all, you trust him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which reveals to us your truth so that we may know you more deeply, walk with you more closely. God, I pray you increase our faith, that faith is a gift, and I pray you pour that out upon this congregation, that people, no matter their circumstances, no matter their struggles or difficulties, can forsake all things and place their trust completely and securely in you because you are faithful. Because you are the one who created the heavens and the earth. You are sovereign over all creation. Nothing passes before you without your knowledge. And so we can trust that whatever difficulty we are walking through individually, corporately, you have a plan for it. As you seek to pass us from one side of the sea to the other, God, increase our faith that we may know, love you, trust you completely, God. Thank you for your faithfulness first for the sacrifice you made by showing and demonstrating your love for us. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.